Hi, I'm Jen, and I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that this podcast deals with the hard stuff in life. We share stories of trauma and triumph, and the subject matter may be alarming to some listeners. Please check the show notes for content warnings and take care of yourself. If you want to further support what we're doing, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash nowwhatpod. You're listening to Now What, a podcast where we celebrate the human spirit by sharing stories of strength and resilience. For those going through hard times or looking to get inspired to change their own life, we're your hosts, Jen and Tisha. Hi, I'm Jen. Welcome back to Now What? It's Tisha here, and we are being joined today by the one and only Randy Ramdeen. And uh, Randy is someone who I've known for quite a while. And when we were thinking about doing this podcast, I thought of Randy because she just lives her life with so much passion and such integrity that you know you don't get there without having gone through some hard times. And, and I knew she had a story to share. And so I um, invited her to be on the show. And we're both so thankful that she agreed to be here with us today. So without any further ado, Randy, how are you? Welcome. Well, wow. Thank you for that introduction. You got me a little <laughs> choked up there. <laughs> She's good at it, huh? <laughs> yeah, totally. You know, like right off the bat. <laughs> like, woo. <laughs> Oh, thank you so much for having me on. I was really excited when uh, when you told me about this, and I obviously had to be a part of it. So, we're um, really thankful to have you here. And obviously, we all get on very well because we had a very long pre-interview conversation, <laughs> and yeah. even before we started this. <laughs> exactly. So it feels it feels comfortable. I'm good yeah. with it. I'm good, good with it. So. That's what we like. Yeah. Well, let me, I'll start with the kind of, you know, where things started for me. I grew up in a, in a small town, a population 5,000. Um, I was one of, or my family was one of very few people of color because it was primarily a, a small white town. And, uh, and there was a lot of, uh, there was a lot of racism in there. So I experienced that pretty early. Um, when I was, uh, my first experience, I was about three years old and a little boy called me a black lab. And I knew his intention behind his words were stronger than what I really understood. And when I said that I was going to tell the teacher, he knew that what he meant was stronger than, than the, those words as well. And, uh, and he said, no, 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 it's just, a, it's just a dog, it's just an animal. But very interestingly enough, he knew it was, more, it, it was more harmful. Those specific words were more harmful than just calling me an animal. And so, you know, throughout the years, I experienced, you know, being called different names, the N-word. Uh, I was called Packy regularly. I remember being in uh, elementary school, so this was before grade three so it was jk to grade three kids would make fun of my lunch the smell of my lunch even though you know i had like a ham sandwich or like my father didn't cook curry or anything ever and my so my father the history or my background is my father is west indian and my mother is white irish so my father never cooked any any curries or anything that had a strong scent or like ethnic i'm quotations right now. <laughs> air, quotes. air quotes right now uh, any strong scented foods so so they were it was just based on 
you want, you know, what they physically knew about me and obviously what they learned growing up or what they learned, at you know, home. at home. Exactly. Um, and, you know, um, incidentally with each other, like there was going to be a kid who heard that one kid call me that name. And then it, there was going to be, you know, a ripple effect, right. It, you know, that's just the nature of learning peer learning. Right. Um, it's good sometimes and it's bad sometimes. And so, um, so anyway, so it, it made me really uncomfortable because they would make fun of my food all the time. And so my father eventually um, would come pick me up for lunch times and, and we didn't have a car. So he would have to walk to my school, pick me up, walk home, make me lunch, walk back, you know, so and that would happen every single day. And then another big thing that happened to me when I was in primary school still was I was playing on a uh, it was in a, in a school in a schoolyard um, and there's a play structure in the swings and I was with two of my friends who were white and they were swinging on the swings and I decided I wanted to climb on the play structure and as I was climbing something hit me in the back of the head and I turned around and these kids were throwing rocks and garbage at me coming into the onto the playground and started calling me names and I remember getting hit with a banana peel <laughs> and I was small enough at this time that I was able to crawl under the play structure and hide away mm. from them. And they couldn't reach me. Thankfully, they couldn't reach me, but they tried to get at me and they were screaming and whatnot. And then eventually they gave up and, and left. And so I came out and I walked over to my friends who were basically, un I don't know if unaware is the word, but they were un... Okay. They were definitely unscathed, unfazed, yes, unfazed and unscathed because they weren't the ones um, being targeted. Right. And I just was kind of like, whoa, that was weird. You know, like it, racism hasn't hadn't like because I was sort of in survival mode or I was in survival mode as a kid. It, it never really re registered to me. It didn't penetrate me deep enough to be affected by it because I was just trying to get through it. And so I was like, woof, that was, that was weird or that was crazy. And they were, they just kind of agreed. And then the kids came back and they chased us down the street to my friend's house. And we ran inside and locked the doors and they came and started banging on the windows and the doors. Oh my gosh. And yeah. And luckily her older sister was there with her newborn. And if she hadn't threatened them with calling the cops, they wouldn't have left. They, who knows if they would have you know, gotten inside. I have no idea. I, I can't assume to, <laughs> I, I don't want to wonder what, what could have happened. So, but yeah. And so because of all of that experience and that, and that went on. And so I was eight years old when that happened and that went on like racist comments and whatnot went on into high school. And so because of all of this, I learned very, very quickly to survive. School wasn't my first priority. It was surviving. It was getting along with people. It was building people who would, who would could, could potentially protect me if I needed to. So school became not even a priority. And so I, be, I was, you know, not a great student because of it. And I remember being labeled as a troublemaker from my teachers because I wasn't focused on academics. I was focused on the relationships that I had within the school setting. And I remember some schoolmates saying to a couple of my friends, oh, she's just here to socialize. Why is she even here? And it was really tough because 
I, it made it, that made me feel really dumb as well. Um, it made me feel like I wasn't good in school. And Mm -hmm. so it affected my motivations and my, my potential to be something. Yeah. And so I just realized that Prescott (laughs) wasn't the place for me anymore. (laughs) And, uh, and I moved to Toronto and it was, um, night and day. I was finally around people and I lived North. So there were, um, there were a lot of brown people (laughs) just like me. (laughs) And I was like, this is amazing. Like, this is a breath of fresh air. People look like me. I don't have to worry about my food smelling. Even Even when it's a ham sandwich. Even when it's a ham sandwich, people, people look just like me. And so I slowly began to like immerse myself in different cultures and, and because I didn't want to react or respond to or think of people with a preconceived, with preconceptions, the way other people did for me. And so, you know, living in Toronto, getting to know other people, getting to know cultures, immersed in other cultures, I started to focus on activism and human rights and animal rights. I became vegan, uh, vegetarian. I was vegetarian uh, as of 20 when I was 24 and then I became vegan at 33 so it's been just over eight years since uh, I became vegan so fighting for um, human animal rights the planet it all just came into into play for me of like doing doing my absolute best I can for the world we live in and so that activism led to like anti-racism work and that was kind of where it all started to decline for me (laughs) when I was now in a place where I could feel safer you're not just surviving anymore exactly I'm no longer in survival mode I've now built an incredible support network where I can fall apart if I need to fall apart because they are there to protect me. Like I, this is what I tried to work for back home, but I didn't get it because they didn't get it, unfortunately. So I was now in the city where there were like-minded people and I built that community up and I was able to now sit and reflect on all of the crappy things that I had gone through in my life. And so that's when things started to to decline for me mentally, like probably I'd say for the last 10 years, I'd been doing the work for the last, let's say three years, it started to decline or the previous three years, it started to decline. I had experienced bouts of depression here and there or or low experiences of my life a bunch of times, like maybe, maybe three times throughout my life. But this was a whole different level and I was completely not equipped to handle the feelings that were coming up surrounding racism. And at this time, I was dating someone who ended up not being very supportive of that, me coming into that understanding. You know, I, I challenged her on some, some things that she said that were problematic And she said to me once, you know, why does everything have to be about race with you? And it just, yeah, it, it cut me really, really deep because 
besides being a female walking down the street, that's the first thing people see of me. And that's what I've always been attacked on. And so I'm like, because this is this, this, that's what it is for me. That's I can't, that's something I can't hide. That's why it is about race with me. And it'd always be about race with me. Well, because from a young age, it was forced to like, people made it be about race. Exactly. Absolutely. Exactly. Thank you for pointing that out. And so, but then she gaslit me and said, well, I never said that, said that. And you're remembering things incorrectly. And I told her I wanted her to get sensitivity training. And she said, no, I'm a really nice person. Which <laughs> may be true. Yeah, it, could, it, it is. <laughs> the thing is, you know, in certain, certain situations, she is a very nice person. Right. But it doesn't exclude her from racism. And no. from, prob- from problematic thoughts and problematic behaviors. And yeah. so that was really, really difficult for me to, to handle because this is supposed to be someone who I feel my safest with and I feel protected by, and I didn't feel safe with her and I didn't feel protected by her. And uh, at the same time, you know, I was very active on social media and in real life when it came to anti- anti-racism. And you might remember this, there was uh, the whole Don Cherry thing. Um, yes. The whole Don Cherry thing happened and it became a huge deal. And I was just, I was seeing things being posted about how it wasn't racist. And, and I just, I couldn't, I couldn't withdraw. Like I, I had to say something. And so I made a couple of big posts about it and about how it was problematic and how telling people of color that it wasn't racist is extremely harmful to them and that they that you're not acknowledging their expertise and lived experience of what racism is and I'll, I will always believe that while while people of color or BIPOC people while they may may not always know what racism isn't we always know what racism is you feel it within your bones you feel it in your in your gut and what I mean by what it what it isn't is there were t- times where, you know, I would say to my, my friends would say, I'm not racist, am I? And I'm like, no, you, you're friends with me. But I was younger and I didn't quite realize that. But that, that doesn't pre- preclude them from having prejudices. Exactly. Of course. Well, yeah, we, we it means they accept you despite. Exactly. Perhaps what they think. Yes, exactly. Um, yeah. 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 And like, just because you have a person of color as a friend doesn't mean you're, doesn't exempt you from racism. So, and I think, you know, so often too, like people have these prejudices, but then they have their one friend who's a person of color. And so that makes them not a racist, but sometimes their thought process is actually like, well, I think this about people of color, but my friend is an exemption from that. Mm -hmm. So yeah. the racist thoughts are still there, but they're yeah. exempting it from their one, their partner or their one friend or their one coworker or whatever is like exempt from what they think as opposed to being like, oh, maybe what I've thought all this time isn't true. Yes, exactly. And that's yeah. the thing. Like I've had to explain that to, or I've tried to explain that, that you're, you're right, Jen. Like we all have biases. We all have prejudices. We were every single one of us were conditioned in a white supremacist society. And to say that we were not affected by that would be ludicrous. Like even me, I, I as a light skinned person of color 
have had so many privileges because I'm lighter skinned. That's just a society we have been conditioned in. Yeah. And to, to deny that you could be affected by that is just, it's so strange to me because- Well, it's strange that because being racist or saying something that's racist or pro- like, it's something that's affecting somebody else. So mm-hmm. for me, as a white person to say, I'm not racist. It's like, but it's not affecting me whether I am or not. So how can I actually say that? Right. You don't really get to be the judge of that. Yeah, right. that's it. You, I, yeah. I, I, I can't as a, as a white person, you, you don't get to be the judge of if you're behaving in a racist manner or not. Right. Right. I don't, I mean, I don't think. No, I mean, no, that's with anything, people are entitled to have their feelings, right? Like if someone says, I'm feeling sad, you don't have a right to say, well, you're not allowed to feel sad. Mm-hmm. You're not sad. You're like, but, but I am. But I am sad. Like yeah. you don't get to tell people what their feelings are and what their experiences are. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We totally got off topic there a little bit, but it's, it's such an important point. I think you're making that we all live in this society. Mm-hmm. And racism is systemic. Yeah, absolutely. And if you can admit that, then you have to also be able to admit that it impacts you regardless of what color you are. Yeah. You're affected. We're all affected by it in a way that we're taught to think about race. Mm -hmm. And once you, once you begin to admit those things, you can start to be better. You know right. what I mean? So, so I would, I, I just, I remember when she said, no, I'm not doing my ex. When she said she's not doing the anti-racism training. I just thought like, how, why would you not want to be better for your partner? Why would you not want to help understand your partner better and navigate this world a little bit easier with her? It was pretty disappointing. And so at the, so at, I was, was saying at the same time I was active on social media and, you know, posted these things about Don Cherry and a family member of mine text messaged me and just laid into me about how I was wrong and how I made her feel racist by my uh, <laughs> post to all of Facebook world and (laughs) was just so, so, so clueless is the word. Very, very clueless to how her words impacted me. Um, Mm -hmm. As as a family member, again, who you think is supposed to support you, right? That telling you you're, you're, thoughts and your feelings are invalid Mm -hmm. yeah and and that was that's when the decline started to happen even more because it was this family member so I had now had my partner and now this very close family member tell me that my feelings were invalid and basically to just get over it Um, that just that's such a betrayal from two people that yes. you can never be prepared to expect that from. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. And that's why it hit me so deeply. Like mm-hmm. I explained it as being like cut by a knife because the scars, man, the scars from that were really, they were big scars. Yeah. Cause you're trying to build this sort of inner circle where you feel safe. Yeah. It was really, really hard. And that's why, that's why at that point, my health 
my mental health really started to, to decline. Like I started getting sick a lot and I started getting really depressed. And I remember one day I was sitting on my couch with my partner and I just kind of was rubbing my hands through my hair. And all of a sudden I felt this little patch and said, oh my gosh, I think I have a bald patch. And I said, can you check it? And, and her reaction, I could tell that she was like, you don't have a bald patch. She wasn't taking what I was saying seriously. And, and then she stood up and checked it and she's like, oh my gosh, you actually do have a bald patch. And I, the anxiety, just my anxiety went through the roof because it was alopecia areata. And if you know anything about alopecia areata, Tisha, I know you know it. Yeah, my sister has it. Yeah, yeah. Your hair falls out from stress. <laughs> and in big, like mine just kept growing and growing and growing. And I was, you know, the more stressed I got, the bigger my hair, the bigger the patch was. And I couldn't manage that. I, there was no, it was impossible for me to de-stress so my hair wouldn't fall out when my hair kept falling out it was the act of your hair falling out alone has got to be stressful exactly and it just kept getting bigger and bigger now granted i was going through a couple of other things at this time that also contribute contributed hugely to my stress levels like workplace bullying I'll, that'll be another podcast <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so I, I just felt completely lost. And then the pandemic happened and my partner peaced out. My partner decided she was going to leave and she, she didn't have a return date. But through this all, my mental health got so bad that I, uh, I didn't want to live this life anymore. And I felt really, really desperate. And I told two people. Uh, I told one of my very best friends who she said all the right things to me, which is I'm going to be here for you no matter what. And then I told my partner before she left, uh, before I knew she was leaving. And uh, she said I was trying to manipulate her in however way I was trying to manipulate her by telling her that that's how I was feeling. And she still decided to leave knowing that and not return knowing that. And so I knew I needed help. Uh, I knew I needed professional help. So I decided to book uh, an appointment with my doctor and I had a a couple other health issues that I I needed to address. So I booked an appointment with my doctor who I just basically broke down and begged for help. But the really frustrating part is that it took months to, for any action to happen. And I realized quite how terrible the Ontario health system is, the health health care in Ontario is for those who are in desperate need of support. But I, but thankfully I eventually ended up getting a couple of appointments. I got an assessment for my hair, a couple other um, assessments that I needed to get. And I started seeing my therapist again and I got injections, thankfully got injections in my hair, but that, that took six months. Like I was suffering for a good six months through that. But what kept me afloat was my friends, my, my support system were, they're the reason I'm here. They're the, they're the absolute reason I'm here is because like my, my, you know, I, 
wasn't working, my one friend said, you need to go to therapy. I'm paying for it. I don't, I don't care how much it costs. I'm paying for it. And so my friends showed up for me in ways that, uh, I'm going to get a little choked up here. I'm getting choked. <laughs> yeah. We all are. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So my friends, they showed up for me in, uh, in a way that I never, in ways that I never, ever expected from anyone to show up for me. They really like reached through the water and grabbed my hand and pulled me up. Yeah. And, uh, and it was, <laughs> yeah, I'll be eternally grateful to those people for that. But it became necessary for me to, to get the extra help outside of that immediate uh, support network. And uh, in addition to seeing my doctor and getting those other appointments, I got uh, a psychiatric assessment for which I was um, diagnosed with uh, anxiety, general anxiety disorder, generalized anxiety disorder and depression. And so I went on medication for the first time in my life. And that was a really tough pill to swallow, no pun intended. <laughs> um, because I had, I had done the right things, quote unquote. I had worked out, I had eaten healthy, I had the social or the, the support network. I had all the right things that you need, that you're told that you need in order to get through a tough time, but it just wasn't working. And I quote unquote gave in and I said, well, I had nothing left. I think when you have nothing left, when you're at absolute rock bottom and, and this option is, is present for, like I, I did speak to a bunch of people who, who said, this, this is an option for you, like really, really consider it, including my therapist. Um, and then after the assessment, like I felt, I felt better. The, the psychiatrist actually was very helpful and she offered a lot of care which I think is really important when you're telling someone or you're, you're assessing the mental health of someone, it's really important to have bedside manner. Mm -hmm. And, and she did, thankfully she did because I was scared. You know, I was scared to go on this medication. I, um, besides the fact that I tried to put, try, try not to put any sort of chemicals in my body, I didn't want to be on medication for the rest of my life. I didn't, you know, there's so much stigma around medication and, you know, growing up, I'm sure the same is, is for you guys. You're crazy if you want on medication. Oh, right? if you even need, if you even have a therapist, you're crazy. Yes, exactly. Um, uh, I think I, it's, it's interesting. I don't know that it's come up in, in conversations here, but it's a conversation that I have had with many friends and like not wanting to be on something for the rest of their life and, and, you know, have a family who it seems like everybody is on something. And, but, and, and I was very much like you, I did not want, I refused to accept that I had postpartum depression because I was afraid they were going to put me on something. Yeah. Yeah. And it's scary. It is scary. But the, the reality is sometimes people need to be on something for the rest yeah. of their life. And if yeah. it gives you peace and a quality of life, yes. then it, it shouldn't be stigmatized. And, and in a lot of cases, it's not for the rest of your life. No, that's what people don't realize. Like when I was talking to my doctor, I said the same thing. I said, I don't want to go on this forever. And she said, you don't have to. <laughs> She's like... Mm -hmm. 
she's like, you can be on this for a year. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> also, I, I don't think a lot of people know that this is something that is not a permanent, it doesn't, it doesn't have, have to, to be, be permanent. No. Exactly. Sometimes you just need it to get through. For me, it's interesting where I'm like, I'm better when I'm on it. So like, I'm a better person. Mm-hmm. So if I have to, I'm like, well, uh, that's, you know, if that's what it needs to be, I'm, I've made my peace with it for sure. Yeah. That's fair. I'm, it's, I'm not looking for that to be the case, but if it is, and if that's how I get to be the best version of me mm-hmm. um, and the best mom to my kids, then that, I mean, that's why I was making such a big deal out of it seems silly to me, frankly. Agreed. And I, I feel the same way now. I remember starting to finally feel better, but my mood, my mood was still low. And so I was talking to my doctor and, and she was like, maybe we need to put you on a mood stabilizer. And I'm like, let's do it. Yeah. At that <laughs> point you're like, I'm, I'm already, already feeling a little better. So yeah. like, let's try more. Yeah. I, can get yeah. I, so, I think it's, it's interesting that you were still there and because yes, you had all of these right things in place and it sounds like you have an amazing community. And I'm, I choked up a little bit when you were talking about your community because I, I too am very lucky to have an amazing support system that showed up for me when I like lit- physically like across the street, physically at my door mm-hmm. um, when I needed them. And, but even with all that, there are things that we go through in this life and, and I just think of how it's almost like your whole existence was invalidated from that time when you were three years old and that boy called you a black lab. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously that was the beginning of it all because it all like adds up. And it builds up. It and builds up. Yeah. 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 But yeah, you know, with the 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 medication and this the support like my friends they showed up for me like I said in in ways that I'll just never forget short of like living with me and being around mm-hmm. me um but and I'm so grateful that your friends were there to be with you and to be present like actually with you yeah um but um but yeah it's and I and I just I have this like my mind is completely changed about medication and about help like why did I wait until I was suffering so much to get mental help to get to mental support you know I just think that we really need to shift our minds around around the stigma of all of it like I mean I, I know it's happening now but it is at least for people my age it is ingrained in in us that that like you said, therapy is taboo and, and support and help is taboo. But like, why is being better so taboo? Why is getting help to be better so taboo? And why can't we just accept therapy for what it is? It's a place where you can basically talk shit about people if you want. Like you, (laughs) you can say what, like whatever is driving you crazy. Yeah. It can be as simple as that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's your safe space to say whatever it is you need to say. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. It's your outlet, right? If at the end of the day, you get an outlet and you come back and you're happy with your partner and you're engaged with your friends, what does it matter? 
Yeah. What is, you, you've had that outlet. You're not getting mad at the people <laughs> that are in your life. You're in a better mood. It's yes. easier to get along with people. Like, why is that bad? But I think it's hard for people to make that jump. Like I do have conversations with friends now. And I mean, we are living in a pandemic. So that's a whole other mental load that everyone is bearing. And most of my friends are parents. So virtual school and all of that, but I'll be like, maybe you should talk to somebody. Like I can't help. I I, I want to help you work through this, but I don't think I can. Mm -hmm. Like really I will listen, but I don't think I'm going to help you get to maybe what you need. And more often than not, it's like, oh yeah, yeah, I'll do that. It's like, Mm -hmm. it's seen as such a last resort Yes. or, oh, I have to pay for it. It's like, and you're talking to somebody. And that's a thing. Like it, you know, it is cost prohibitive. And Mm -hmm. I think that's, you know, one of the things that got me when you were telling your story is that your friends offered to help pay for it. That's amazing. That's such a, it's such a huge barrier for people. Mm -hmm. And not that it's not, I don't want to invalidate that it's a barrier because obviously like there are, you either have enough money or you don't. Mm -hmm. But I also think that because so much is already covered, again, I'm coming from an American perspective. So to me, it's like, oh, I have to pay for that. Okay, that's fine. I'll pay for that. I don't have to pay for all this other stuff that I need to do. Mm -hmm. I think when you think about what the cost is and mo- and I'm speaking strictly from most of the people I know in the middle-class neighborhood I live in, mm-hmm. um, they presumably could figure it out if they maybe ordered out less or, you know what I mean? Pe- like most of the people I'm talking to on a regular basis, is it maybe a stumbling block? Could it be hard? Yes, but it's but It's a matter of prioritization. But even point. when yeah. they can afford it, it's a last resort. Yeah. It's still last resort. Yeah. And medication as well. Right. Yep. Like you're just supposed to make sure you get outside and exercise and meditate every day and like get up and make your bed. Like somehow that's going to change your life when (laughs) (laughs) like there's a whole thing around that. (laughs) You read about it. I read about it. (laughs) (laughs) There is literally a book called make your bed. Oh my Um, gosh. I mean, and sure, there's something to that, but that is probably not going to be the difference maker Mm -hmm. when you're going through a hard time and not for everyone. Right. Yeah. And I think we've talked about, Jen and I have talked about this before, just like you have to find what works for you Mm -hmm. and what feels right for you. And if that means medication, then that is what works for you. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. And what anybody else thinks about that is really, it's really none of their business. Yeah, agreed. I was hesitant about telling one of my very best friends because I knew what their reaction, I knew their reaction was going to be less than positive. And I did, I told them and uh, through text and the response was, hmm. <laughs> and, and then that was really it. And I was like, man, you know what? I'm going to fight to change this. I've got to fight to change this in every way that I can, because I don't want people to feel this way anymore. I don't want people to feel so disappointed by the people that they love because they're trying to get help for themselves. 
And it was similar to the reason I became involved in activism around human animal planet rights, because I didn't want people to feel this a certain way around it, around those things anymore. And so, so I've got my motivation again to, uh, <laughs> to at least fight for that the destigmatizing mental health, like mental health issues and, and um, medication, so. It's, I mean, inspiring, that seems very trite, but I, it's not what I'm, where I'm going, but it's just really inspiring that you could take, you know, the experiences that you dealt with and lived through and care, clearly have carried with you to become an activist and to want for better and, and even it wouldn't surprise me if someone in your situation with the partner that you had who was, you know, behaving and saying problematic things, maybe wouldn't call it out because mm-hmm. it's kind of just like what it is. Yeah. But that you were still brave enough and strong enough and, and able to be like self-assured, like self-confident enough. To, to do that, like that, I mean, I don't know, again, like it's in, it's interesting as you, again, are telling the condensed version of your story in this setting, obviously you needed therapy, obviously right. you needed some, some pharmaceutical support, like obviously, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. we can't see that, but like from my, from where I'm sitting, to me, that just seems like a given because again, so much of who you were, you are and who you have no control, what you have no control over who you are mm-hmm. was like constantly just being bombarded. Yeah. I thank you for saying that. Um, I think for me that it wasn't necessarily strength. <laughs> it was, uh, it you was did it though. <laughs> yes, I did. But I think it was because what's going to make me, and I think I mentioned this to you before, what's going to make me more miserable doing something or not doing something, saying right. something or not saying something. Totally. And uh, that those are kind of the, the rules that I live by these days is like, you know, it, it, if I see someone being attacked in the subway, which I did, you know, a year and a half ago, what's going to make me more miserable jumping in and stopping it or just sitting there and, and ignoring it. Yeah. And it'll always be to do something and to say something because I couldn't live with myself if something happened to that person on the subway and I had the opportunity to, to stop it. Mm-hmm. I couldn't live with myself if, you know, this person or my ex went on saying harmful things to other BIPOC, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I could have stopped it or I could have at least said something to help her, you know, think a different way. And like, you know, not intention intending to try to trash <laughs> trash my ex. That wasn't my no, intention. No. And and she, you know, f- we were together for a few years for a reason. Um, but but yeah, there are some pro- problematic things, and and I just think that yeah, if if I want to stop the cycle of things, if I want to stop the cycle of hurt, for me, I have to say something, or I yeah. have to do something. I have to be active in that in that healing or that education or that understanding. So. And that is why I introduced you as somebody who lives their life with passion and integrity because <laughs> that's it right there, right? Like that's what you believe in and you're going to use your voice or do what you can to, to break that cycle. And, you know, just having conversations like this, I think are important, you know, for people to listen to this and to hear 
the ways in which you've been impacted by racism, I think is important that we're having these conversations and talking about medication. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, yes. I have endometriosis. I take a medication for that every day. Right. And I will for the foreseeable future. Yeah. Because if I don't, I'm in agonizing pain. Hmm. But it's a very concrete physical pain. So it's not. Nobody would ever question that. Yeah. Nobody would ever say, well, you know, it's chemicals. I'm like, yeah, but like, I literally can't move if I don't right. take it. And mental health is not really different. Mm-mm. You can also be in agonizing pain if you are not taking medication. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it yeah, seems so differently. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Jen, you pointed it out. Like it's the physical thing just makes it more palatable for people. It's so crazy. Mm -hmm. And I I hope one thing I hope that comes out of these kinds of conversations and even like, I hope people are starting to see in this time, especially here in Ontario of like the rolling lockdowns and everything, because there's this big push for our physical health with very little consideration to mental health when mm-hmm. it all is just overall health mm-hmm. and it's what contributes to healthy, a healthy person, but also a healthy society. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I think that's where we need to get is where we see them just as health. Yep. And we don't separate it in physical or mental health, but like we need to get to a place where we just, see it more well I mean th- right? like you're an example you were physically healthy you took sounds like you take very good care of yourself but but you weren't okay inside mm-hmm. yeah yeah exactly <laughs> it was definitely- I mean you're doing all the right things to take care of your physical health but mm-hmm. but your the mental health was not was just not at that time so yeah. I mean it, it's just it's very interesting going through everything that you had gone, you've gone through. And it sounds like you had some amazing people showing up for you. It's not everyone has that. Not everybody knows the right thing to do when someone is struggling. What's some advice you could give to somebody either going through a hard time mentally or that their friends could do to potentially support someone who's struggling? Yeah. So what I would suggest for people struggling is if you can find a support network, if you're lucky enough to have incredible friends um, who will care for you um, and just be there to listen. Um, You know, they don't need to pay for your therapy (laughs) by any (laughs) means, because that's not going to be the case, but listening to you um, and really um, hearing you and hearing how you're suffering and being available, whether it's, hey, do you want someone to go to the doctor with you? I'll be here. I'll wait in the waiting room. And, and someone who doesn't, oh, I can't stress this enough. Don't play devil's advocate with someone who's mm-hmm. suffering with their mental health. Don't play devil's advocate because it's just so demoralizing. It, it, it doesn't, it's not helpful. And, uh, the devil is not someone you want to be an advocate with, (laughs) (laughs) but what I found really helpful for me, um, when, when I was, when I was trying to build myself back up is I, 
had volunteered in the past and it was life-changing for me. And so I had the opportunity, I had the time. And so I said, you know what, I'm going to invest. I'm going to, you know, there, there's this organization that I've been following and they are um, all about making positive change. And that's something I want to be able to invest in right now. And so I started volunteering for this organization called Start the Wave, who are an, an incredible organization focused on making positive change worldwide. And what was really helpful is that they are like-minded people. <laughs> they, I can't tell you what a breath of fresh air it has been being around people who want to take anti-racism training, want to have crucial conversations, who want to look at the world from a decolonized lens, who want to participate in transformative justice, who know what microaggressions are. Like I can't, or are super open to learning about it. Like I can't express how important it is for one's mental health to surround yourself with people who are like-minded because you don't have to do it forever, but until you get out of the rut, you have to be there. It just exacerbates your pain when you're constantly fighting more battles, when you're trying mm -hmm. to get out of this hole, you know? When you're, well, when you're constantly, your feelings or your experience is constantly being invalidated. Yes. It has to be exhausting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, is, volunteering is not for everyone, but there are, some good things about Facebook, unfortunately, and that's, you know, groups there. I went on, um, there were a couple of groups that I had to be a part of, like during my, my suffering, which was, um, I, I went to uh, BIPOC specific meetings, group meetings to talk about BIPOC experiences. Mm -hmm. um, I joined BIPOC specific uh, groups on Facebook to talk about experiences. So I needed to be surrounded with like-minded people in order for me to be validated, like you were talking right. about, Jen. Yeah. Um, and I think that's really, really important for people who are suffering is if you can find spaces where you are validated, where your feelings are validated and, and you don't have to feel that stress and that pressure of not feeling not, yeah, not feeling like you belong or you, you, that you don't fit in anymore. Right. Or like your whole, you have to hold back to fit yes, in. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And it didn't sound like you were being heard and seen in the way that you needed to be. Yeah, I, you're absolutely right. I, I definitely had voiced that to my therapist that I, I, I wasn't being seen. And, I, and there are still days that, you know, I, I, I'm still not seen or heard or you know that I wake up and I need to have my sunshine lamp on <laughs> to get through it but it's I mean it's it's day by day I take it day by day I no, I just wanted to say I think and this is just a, like a, something that came up listening to you is I think because sometimes when you're in it it can be hard to maybe seek those groups out so what a friend could do is do that work for you yes Absolutely. Oh, that's so perfect, Jen. Yeah. <laughs> no, seriously, like you, oh, when I was, when I was going through, um, when I had I visited my doctor and I said there was, there was that three months of time or whatever, there was a long waiting period because they're like, okay, you've got to log on to this. You've got to go to this. You've got to go to that. And when, when someone is at their end, 
they're I'm not going to do yeah. any of that. Nope. And so to have someone be like, okay, I'm doing this for you and we can call together or I'll call for you or whatever it is yep. to, to take that stress off, off them that, that might not seem like a big deal yep. is huge, is huge yeah. for someone who is, who is struggling. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. Great, great recommendation. Absolutely. Thank you. <laughs> I interrupted you though. You were, you were about to say something else. I don't know if you lost it because of me. I don't, I don't remember what I was um. going to say. <laughs> but yeah, so, I, I think I, I think it was, yeah, just listen, don't play devil's advocate. That's the advice yes. that I can say to, to people who want to support their friends. And like you said, just yeah. amazing. Yeah. Offer to do those, offer to do the heavy lifting. Yeah. For Make them. it easy. Make it easy. Yep. Yeah, uh, I liken it to like how Tishek would come and help me fold my laundry when mm-hmm. I just couldn't get it done, you know? Yep. Um, it's, it's, you know, that stuff that doesn't seem like anything and that anyone should be able to do, but there are days that you cannot. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But we, oh, so Start the Wave is the organization and how can yes. people find Start the Wave if they're interested in learning more? So we... That we have a website, www.startthewave.org, or we have an Instagram, Start the Wave uh, account. Yep. Um, we don't do Twitter anymore, so don't go, don't follow us on Twitter. <laughs> we don't engage in that. <laughs> um, <laughs> something else. Yeah, but there's some there's some really exciting things happening on Start the Wave right now. Over the next few months, like we offer funding to people all around the world to either continue or to begin grassroots roots initiatives and pretty incredible organization to be a part of. And like I said, we're, they're all like like-minded people really interested in, in being better in every way, shape and form. So yeah, check us out. That's so amazing, Randy. Thank you so much for just sharing with us today and sharing your tips with us and letting us know, you know, I think you gave us some really great advice today. And thank you for just being really authentic and vulnerable and sharing your story. We really, really appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Again, I'm just, I'm really appreciative of having the platform to be able to share the story and hopefully, you know, someone out there hears it and feels connected to it and can get through their day a little easier because of it. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And we'll put some more resources in the show notes as well as information about Start the Wave. Sounds good. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Now What? If you've enjoyed this episode, leave us a review. Your ratings and reviews help more people like you find our podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and share this episode with someone you think would love it. And make sure to find us on Instagram at nowwhat underscore podcast. Until next time, we're Tisha and Jen. Remember, your hard times are the chance to write another chapter.